Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. What will the summer of 2020 be remembered for? Racial unrest, community protesting, a public health crisis, diminished job prospects, personal financial challenges, social distancing, a lack of summer vacations. I'm Chris William and welcome again to the most widely watched source of Carolina business policy and public affairs. Thank you for supporting this program for almost 30 years now. And as we get past the stunned feeling we had earlier this year in March about how much our lives have changed, how much have they changed? We'll start to unpack that and what the intentions are here in the Carolinas with our guests. And later on, he is the director of the largest airport in the Carolinas and one of the most important airports in the country and on the globe. Brent Cagle from Charlotte Douglas Airport joins us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at Bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Carl Blackstone from the Greater Columbia Chamber of Commerce, Christopher Chung of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, and special guest, Brent Cagle, Aviation Director of the Charlotte Douglas International Airport. And welcome to our program. Uh, a couple of, uh, I hate to say this, in a in a, in a, it's not a demeaning way at all, but a couple of regulars, because we like them so much, and they're they're so good at, uh, at chatting with us and bringing to bear the issues of the day. Carl Blackstone from the Columbia Chamber and Christopher Chung from the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, uh, a couple of smart guys. So welcome to the dialogue, gentlemen. And good to see you both. Uh, looks like you're staying safe. I'm assuming you are. Yeah. Carl? Thanks for having. Me. Good to see you. Yeah. Chris, you staying safe in, in Raleigh? I am. Thank you, Chris. And, and I'd rather be a regular for you than, than a re irregular for someone else. So yes, thank, good, good to be here as always. But. Good answer. So this is, I, I know this is a broad question, gentlemen, um, but between the public health crisis that we find ourselves in, between the community protests and the racial crisis that we find ourselves in because of the stunning uh, and tragic death of George Floyd, how do you think this changes who we are in the Carolinas as we go through the balance of 2020? Who, who were we and who are we now? Carl, start with you. Yeah, that's a le legit question. I think um, how we go forward is going to be important in defining 
who we will be. I mean, I'm having these conversations with partners of ours and, and community leaders in Columbia. You know, this has been tolling, quite frankly, emotionally. Uh, obviously, we're trying to grapple with it ourselves and ask questions of uh, what is the systemic racial profiling? How does it occur? How do we learn it? How do we get forward? How do we teach our kids differently? Uh, is it generational? Uh, because we're seeing a lot of that. And it's, it's a layered approach. I mean, as you make me three months of COVID and a dip in the economy and the stress of losing jobs or being furloughed on top of this, I mean, it is a layered uh, effect. And so uh, we just have to treat it like an onion and peel it back and say, let's deal with each layer as we can. The key though is conversations. And we've been having these at our chamber, um, not before now, we probably should have, but yeah. we, you know, it's really asking our, our board and our partners, how are you? What, what are we feeling? What conversations do we need to be having? And I'm going to tell you, it's been remarkable, the feedback and the ability of folks that have had frustration over the years, unaware, I was unaware, but letting folks have a chance to verbalize that is very uh, therapeutic, quite frankly, and, and much needed. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. Chris, the triangle, Raleigh, was surprisingly, was surprisingly on the front of some of the violent protests when all of this started to unwind after the very public killing of George Floyd. Were you surprised that Raleigh had reacted so vehemently and with such vitriol? And how does that change the place that the triangle is? Well, I mean, I, I think what you've seen here in the triangle and elsewhere across the country, clearly these are some very strong feelings about an issue that uh, a lot of people feel like hasn't yet been addressed uh, adequately. And I think that's something that folks need to understand. As I said, I don't think what happened in the triangle is unique across the country. I think this has been by far one of the largest uh, protest movements in at least my recent memory. Um, I remember, I, I was living in St. Louis at the time of the, the Ferguson uh, unrest uh, back in 2014. So I've been able to see this and, and just uh, some of the, 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 the feelings, the frustration and everything of this when, when there's perceived injustices. Um, and so I, I don't know, it's, it's not an easy question. You, you asked the question earlier on about both COVID-19 and, and uh, this racial justice police uh, issue. Who would have thought, but I mean, I think between those two, COVID-19 is probably the easier of those two issues to try to resolve. Uh, but, but that's saying a lot about just how, how difficult and thorny uh, these issues are. I'm, I'm a relatively new transplant here to the Carolinas. I moved here in North Carolina with my wife uh, five and a half years ago. We, we had our first child back in, in November, right before all of this. And I think we have to look at what we can do as professionals and as individuals. I'm, I'm a father now, so I think I hope I can raise my daughter with, with the kind of worldview that takes into account all these different uh, things that have been boiling under the surface uh, all these different years. But but these are not uh, easy questions. Uh, I, I think I can try to do what I can as a professional and as a person uh, to try to make a positive difference. Uh, but it's going to take everybody really looking at things in that perspective. You know, you're both you're both economic developers by, by profession, by trade, but you're also humanists, if you don't mind me saying, and that, that makes you valuable for us in this dialogue. But so as we go forward, and we'll, I'll, I'll, uh, Chris and Carl, I'll use, I'll use this term, these oppositional political environment, and you could lump in the racial, 
uh, biases and the racial debate that goes on into all that. And, and I don't mean for it to be minimal, but does that oppositional environment that we have now person to person, does it, is it distracting? Does it take away from the momentum that the Carolinas have had now for quite a while when it comes to economic development? Carl? I don't think we in the Carolinas are experiencing anything that the rest of the country is not experiencing as well. And so what's going to help us as we continue to grow, the population increases are going to continue. Well, in order for us to capitalize that we are going to have to address these issues and make some changes um, in these conversations. And that's what, you know, the companies that are located here are going to have to espouse their culture and, and, and talk about it with their employees. And, and that's what's going to make us competitive. It, you're right. If the individual companies and, and the communities surrounding the Carolinas make it known that we're going to do things differently, and that's the welcome mat right now. And so if we can address it head on um, and be very thoughtful and, and open, I think that will help us continue to grow. I don't think it'll stunt anything that we've been seeing. The difference is uh, every other community is dealing with the same thing. So we just can't sweep it under the rug. We're gonna have to deal with it and move on. Chris, does the acute nature, and my turn, but does the acute nature of the fall elections in, in a state like North Carolina that's being highly watched, Governor Cooper's uh, at least trending wealth for a, for a re-election of sorts, but is that, is that play into whatever economic development plans or strategy that you have for the state? Well, as Carl knows too, I mean, economic development tends to to be affected when you're in presidential election years because who gets uh, into the White House, of course, has a, a very broad and, and profound impact on issues around tax policy, regulatory policy, and, and in many ways, things that affect the quality of the overall business climate. So that isn't anything new. Uh, obviously, when it comes to economic development right now, probably the, the biggest factor is, with, it goes without saying, just how long will we have COVID-19 as, as part of, of the world? Uh, how long is that going to reduce demand in some of our key industry sectors? And then, of course, how does that translate into the kinds of economic development opportunities that we normally pursue here in North Carolina, be that tourism, be that business recruitment? Uh, COVID-19, of course, is, is that black swan event that nobody anticipated uh, when, when 2020 started. So in about 30 seconds, Carl, uh, Chris brought up the idea of tourism, which is clearly number one, number one industry in both Carolinas. Do you see that tourism, when we, when we finally get to the end of 2020, will tourism have re rebounded enough for us to feel good about that as being one of the key drivers? I think pieces of the tourism trade will be back. Uh, I think regional tourism is going to be very big this year. Uh, whether folks are comfortable flying, that's a big question mark. I think regionally, though, we're going to continue. Folks still want to go to the beach. They still want to go to the mountains. Um, I, I don't think that changes at all uh, in the sense, but I don't think we're going to get folks flying in to do it. So we'll probably see numbers shrink a little bit. Uh, but a big, big hit over the last three months. They'll make a little bit over the summer. It won't be 100%. Thanks, Carl. You know that comment you just made about whether people feel comfortable flying yet. Uh, that's who we're going to bring in uh, now. In just a moment, we're going to meet the head of Charlotte Douglas International Airport to join the dialogue. Joining us now is uh, someone in a key position for sure in one of the major economic development assets here in the Carolinas, but was on what that went on record 
in early March with his concern about traffic at one of the largest airports in this country, and in fact, one of the largest on the globe. Charlotte Douglas International Airport Director Brent Cagle joins us. Uh, Mr. Director, welcome to the uh, dialogue again, Brent. Chris, thank you for having me. Brent, you said in early March you were very concerned because you saw your traffic drop off by somewhere over 90%. That's not a small amount, of course. You were concerned in that drop off, but you also said that you were hoping this wasn't the case, but it could recover in about a decade. So we're a few months past that. Where are we now? What are your numbers? So we are starting to recover. Um, we bottomed out at a decline of about 95% decline in passenger traffic. This week, over the last 10 days to two weeks, we've been seeing traffic levels with about an 80% decline. So we are recovering uh, slowly, but certainly an 80% decline in traffic is still a significant decline. But we, we do feel good about where we're at, and we do feel good that the recovery has at least started. What we're unsure about is, uh, well, really two things. One, what does that recovery look like as we go into the fall, and we may see a resurgence of COVID-19. We may even see a resurgence of stay-at-home orders. Um, we also then are looking at what is the long-term recovery look like and really, for us, there's kind of two factors. The COVID-19 factor is certainly important, but there's also the lingering recession or other factors that start to play into just everybody's growth beyond COVID-19. And that's where the airport is trying to look engaged that. The interesting thing about this crisis for the, for the travel industry is it's very different than any crisis we've ever seen in the industry before. And it's very fluid and dynamic, so it's very difficult to sort of gauge what kind of recovery we should expect. Carl, I'll let you uh, start. Sure. Hey, thanks, Brent. The question as we go forward, I mean, everybody's looking at doing things in a new way. What do you see in the airline industry from a technology standpoint that's going to change? Or what do you, would you like to see change to make it a better experience for customers as well as the airlines? So I think that's a great question and we are working through some of those answers. You know, one thing that Charlotte has done is we have already started surveying passengers. Um, some of the passengers, some of the passenger data and passengers that we um, are aware of in the past, we're talking to them. What are their expectations for a safe travel experience? things like touchless experience, going cashless, um, social distancing is a big one. Um, but really, what does the experience look like? And the interesting thing about this is, it's not just something that any single airport, CLT included, can solve because we rely on our partnerships with airlines, with the TSA, with the concessionaires. So what we're trying to do is gauge where that passenger expectation is today. And we're then trying to meet those expectations. I will say the other thing that we see, and this is an interesting element to it that people may not think about, is there are, there's a patchwork of rules and regulations across the country and, ac and across the globe actually on restrictions on travel, on what a traveler, traveler needs to do when he or she's at the airport. And so one of the things we think is important long-term 
is a consistent uh, set of guidelines and guidance, probably from the FAA or the federal government, for how airports operate so that we can all meet those passenger expectations in a very consistent way. One thing that we struggle with right now is, you know, for the folks that are traveling today, they say, well, I was in DFW, I was over in Seattle, I was in Charlotte, and everybody does it different. And that's true, and that's really a reflection of the local nature of a lot of the uh, COVID-19 responses and the rules and regulations that are really being created at the local level. And so we really feel strongly that to create that consistent um, passenger experience, at least domestically, that we need federal guidelines and guidance in, in what does an airport and an airline and all of our partners need to do to create that great travel experience. Chris? You, uh, Brent, it's good to see you again, and thanks for everything that you're doing in these challenging times. You talked about that travel experience, and hopefully as people get more comfortable with the safety aspect of airports, of course, airports are not just for going there and getting on a plane and, and leaving. There's all sorts of businesses, restaurants, uh, retailers, vendors, other concessionaires operating within a, a large airport like CLT. How does that business model work when you're looking at what could be at least several months, maybe longer, of diminished passenger traffic? It, it's a bit of a chicken and egg. Do you have the vendors there catering to a lower crowd, or do you wait for a certain amount of passenger traffic before those businesses can reopen profitably? I'm just curious, how does that look uh, right now within uh, Charlotte Douglas? So right now, so that's, that is a great question, and it's, the answer is really both of those things. Right now, we have numerous concession locations closed, um, and that's just simply because there is not enough passenger traffic to support all of the concessions that were open. You know, when you think about 20,000 people a day or 25,000 people a day going through the terminal, which is about where we're at now, the number of concessions needed to support that level of traffic is far different than when we had 125,000 people a day. So we're working through that. At the same time, we are working with our concessionaires to understand what we need to do to get back open and operational because there still is a passenger, passenger expectation that there will be sufficient number of stores and restaurants open to meet their needs. So it is a bit of a fine line. But you know, there's, there's, as I'm, I'm listening to you as you're going through this, Brent, the, the idea is if anyone has ever flown through Charlotte, I know that social distancing is not Charlotte, you, and especially on a busy weekend. So how do you tactically operate when you've got to keep social distance, whether it's going through TSA, whether it's lined up at the gate, whether you're just entering into the airport, but knowing that if there is a vaccine, I'm sorry, when there is a vaccine, the whole game has changed again, and we're back to not normal, but we're back to crowding into an airport like Charlotte. Yeah, so I do think that that's, um, that is interesting, and it is a fine line that we're trying to walk. You know, how, what do we do right now to deal with the situation, knowing that it's all fluid? It, it could change over the next three months, six months, 12 months. I think that there's another reality, and 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 we're starting the process of messaging this heavily to our passengers. There are things that the airport, the airlines, and our partners can do to keep our employees and our passengers, our customers safe. There are also things that passengers and customers need to do, right? There, there are things that passengers and customers can do to be 
good travelers and we need their help. Um, only together will we actually meet everyone's expectations. There are going to be times in an airport where social distancing is difficult. Um, all of the airlines, all of the airport, we're doing our best to promote social distancing. But the reality is when you're boarding an aircraft and there's one door on an airplane, social distancing is tough. That's why other things like hand sanitizer, like wearing facial coverings, that's where we need everybody to come together and be a part of the solution to protect everyone. Because the reality is the airport, the airlines, we can't individually um, create solutions that are gonna work. We need everybody working together. And that is part of our message to the passengers. Um, here's what we're doing to help keep you safe, but we need your help. Carl. Yeah, I, I hate to do this, but I'd like to pivot a little bit off of COVID and, and ask a question about the industry as a whole. Uh, for the last five to 10 years, there's been um, well-documented pilot shortage out there. Going forward, obviously numbers are going to determine, I mean, the economy will determine numbers going forward as it relates to tra traffic. But how do you use this time to help build the field uh, for future years when you really do need some pilots and you've got to reset the workforce to some degree? What's the industry going to do? How are you impacting that in the, Raleigh, I mean, the Charlotte area, Raleigh area, anywhere in the Carolinas? How do we collectively have enough pilots to keep the planes in the air? So, you know, that is a good question. Uh, the airlines are really looking at how do they optimize their routes? How do they optimize their fleets? Um, in a way, um, you know, if you want to think about a crisis and, you know, the, the silver lining, what, what good can come of this? I think that it's giving airlines an opportunity to think about how they optimize their operation in a way that they weren't able to before. Mm -hmm. um, so that, in a strange way, is a good thing. Um, using the airport as an example, we're doing the same thing. Um, our terminal lobby expansion project, that is the largest single pr uh, capital project that we have ever undertaken, um, over $600 million uh, project. We, we broke ground on that project in October of last year. And as soon as COVID-19 happened, of course, there's always that sort of knee-jerk reaction to say, uh-oh, this is a huge project. Should we stop? Mm -hmm. um, as we started looking at it, right now is the time to keep pushing forward. Um, it's less impactful because there's less people. But ultimately, the terminal lobby expansion is something that we needed before COVID-19. And honestly, we'll need it even more after COVID-19 because our terminal lobby is too small. And if one thing's for sure that we know for sure is space, you know, we need more space, not less at the airport to create that um, safe travel experience. So we're, we're pushing forward on these projects. And I think the airlines are doing the same thing. They're looking at how they can optimize their routes, how they can optimize their business model to come out of this stronger. Now, I will say from Charlotte's standpoint, Historically, CLT has always fared better than uh, most other airports in crisis, whether it be the recession, 9-11. We have less reductions during the crisis, and we usually recover faster than other airports uh, post-crisis. 
So, and we're seeing that today. Um, both of those things are true today at CLT. So the other thing that we're really focused on is how do we meet the changing expectations and position ourselves to come out strong, if not stronger than before. Um, and that's really our focus right now. We, we have about a minute. Chris, do you have a quick question? I'm just curious, how, how does revenue replacement in the near term look like for airports where passenger facility charges are down, landing fees are down, concession revenues, yeah. parking revenues? It's curious, how do you fill some of that hole, at least in this near term, while we wait for the air industry to recover? So the, the completely honest answer to that is it's been difficult. We've reduced our operating budget significantly, but the huge benefit that we have uh, is Congress. They, um, they dedicated $10 billion to airports uh, in the CARES Act. CLT received $135 million. That is, that is what, you know, a primary support or federal support that we're relying on to get us through fiscal year 21 and into fiscal year 22, which will be very challenging. Uh, uh, Brent, we only have about 30 seconds left and we've got to get the thin and it's not enough time. But if is there a huge shoe to drop if American Airlines, who has most of the gates at Charlotte Douglas, if they have fiscal, long-term fiscal challenges, does that, does that trickle down to long-term fiscal challenges for CLT? Well, we, so yes, but we are also, so this is something that's inherent in our DNA. CLT is the most efficient from a cost perspective to the airlines airport in the country, and we're going to retain that cost competitive nature. And that helps us retain that position inside the American Airlines network as a primary hub. Uh, thank you. I know that didn't give you enough uh, chance to answer that, but uh, Brent, thanks for taking time because I know you are on the bubble and on the front edge of this helicopter blade for sure. So thank you for <laughs> taking time to be in our, our, our program. Always nice to see you. Yeah. Thank you. Chris, good to see you. Carl, nice to see you. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Stay safe. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.